I want you to look with me today in your word uh, to Proverbs 18, and then we're going to jump from there. It's where we started last week. Uh, we jumped into a series last week called Untamed, or The Tongue Untamed, addressing the use of our tongue, our mouths, and our words. And last week was simply uh, an introduction and reminder to all of us of the power of the words that we speak. And so we started in the wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 18, a very common passage of Scripture when talking about the tongue. Verse 20 and 21 says, From the fruit of their mouth a person's stomach is filled, and with the harvest of their lips they are satisfied. Verse 21, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, the quality of your life will be determined by the words that you speak. We spent a great degree of time last week talking about how this theology of words or the theology of the tongue has been taken to an extreme and, and used in error. And so we, we spent time addressing that error. But... The, the summation of that is we, when we're talking about this, we're not trying to get God in agreement with our words. We're trying to get our words in agreement with God. The error of this theology of the word, the power of life and death is in the tongue, is trying to make God our Santa Claus, our bellhop, and in the name of faith we command Him around with our words, and your words will never strip God of His sovereignty. So we're not trying to get God aligned with our words, we're trying to get our words aligned with God and His words. So in Proverbs 18.21, God is saying, are the words that you're speaking agreeing with life? Or are the words that you're speaking agreeing with death? Are you aligning with God? Or are you aligning with our sin-filled culture? So by the words you speak, you're releasing life or death into your relationships, your business, your ministry, this church. Your tongue, your words will determine the trajectory of the rest of your life. And we determine from our study of Scripture that words connect us to God or and they connect us to each other. They connect us to God in the sense that God chose to use the Word to reach out to us. He created with the Word, but when it came to redeem humanity, John 1.14 said He sent His Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. So when God reached out to man, He sent Jesus, the Word, to reach out to us. And when man reaches back to God in relationship, we come into relationship with Him by our word, by the confession of our mouth. Romans chapter 10 says, Declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. The mouth and the heart are linked together over and over again in the Bible. The reason the confession of your mouth has power is because Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever the heart believes, the mouth confesses. So if my heart believes He is Lord, and my heart believes God has raised Him from the dead, then my mouth confesses what the heart believes and that leads me into salvation. So words are how we connect with God. It's amazing. It's sobering. It says a lot about the power of the tongue and the power of words that the greatest, the severest sin in all of the Bible is a sin of the mouth. 
It's not a sexual sin. It's not murder. It's not a sin of addiction or anything morally that you might think. The most dangerous sin in the Bible, the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable, the blasphemous sin, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and it is a sin of the tongue. And we talked a lot in detail last week about that. Jesus says later in Matthew 12, the same chapter that talks about blasphemy, that we are all going to stand before God and give an account of every idle word that we have spoken. So words connect us or disconnect us from God, and words connect us or disconnect us to each other. One of the reasons we may have a bad marriage is because we have a bad mouth. One of the reasons we may be married to a spouse that we are married to, the like we have created the spouse that we're married to with our mouth. The reason is because our mouth is a reflection of our heart. And what we feel about the person we're married to in the deepest part of who we are, the way we feel about them is, 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 is reflected in what we say about them and how we talk to them. And that is going to determine the way we treat them. And so what we say has a lot to say about the spouse that we live with. This morning, that's a, that was a, a little synopsis of the general overview of last week. But I want to get a little more specific today and talk about a topic that you probably wouldn't imagine being in a sermon series on the power of the tongue. I want to address the issue of taking the Lord's name in vain. The Ten Commandments are God's top ten list. And number three on God's top ten list says in Exodus 20 verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So what does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? The most common understanding among most people is that To take the name of the Lord in vain is to sin with the mouth and it's associated with swearing or using God's name in swear language or a swear word. And that's true, but it's only partially true because taking the Lord's name in vain happens in so many other ways. The idea of vanity in the Hebrew carries the meaning to empty something. So to take something in vain is to empty it of its value. So taking the Lord's name would be emptying the Lord of the Lord's name of its worth, of its honor, of its importance. It doesn't just refer to saying God's name in a certain tone of voice or a certain use of the word. It's dealing with God and speaking of God in a way that empties his person of significance. And it includes both throwaway words like God or Jesus, as well as speaking about Him in trifling and flippant ways. Not just swear ways, but cheap ways, low and insignificant ways that treat Him like a commodity. And when you hear words like that thrown around, treated like a commodity, it causes you to sense that there is no weight in that name. There is no weight in that statement. No corresponding emotion. It seems like His name, His person, His honor has just been gutted when we throw His name around that flippantly. God, Christ, the cross, things that He is, the person that He is, and the things that He has done are great And they are weighty and they are full of glory. And there's a corresponding demeanor of worship and attitude that we ought to approach them with. Taking the Lord's name in vain is more than saying, Oh my God, or Jesus Christ, in an expression of exclamation. It is that, but it's so much more. When you look at the Ten Commandments, 
It's easy for us, and this is not a sermon on the Ten Commandments, but this is one of the ten, number three. And when you look at the Ten Commandments, it's easy for us to focus on the negatives. As if God listed all these don't do's and see all of the don'ts, like don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal. But I challenge you instead of looking at the negatives to see the principle of life behind each negative statement. Because when I tell my kids not to do something, it's not because I am intentionally trying to restrict them from life. Most of the things I'm telling them not to do is because I am responsible to protect their life. And I'm trying to be the giver of life to them. And so the Ten Commandments are not a list of don'ts to restrict us from life. They're behind each don't is a principle of life where God is trying to give us life and He knows if we don't obey that we're going to take life away from us. So the the command, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, is a negative way to speak about worshiping God because the opposite of emptying the Lord's name is to ascribe worth to His name, to ascribe value to His name, to ascribe honor. And so the the life-giving principle of the Ten Commandments is to come before the Lord with reverence, to come before the Lord with worship, fill up His name with worth ship ascribe worth to his name which is the opposite of vain which means to empty his name of its value we really don't get the weight of this command in our culture because we don't understand the value associated with somebody's name in our culture names don't really mean anything we pick names that sound cool really not really thinking about what the name means in a lot of cultures A name is a prophecy. A parent names a child something so that every time they call that child's name, they're declaring something about that child. It's a prophetic name. Simply speaking their name declares something. Paul Dickinson had an odd hobby of collecting strange and unusual names and how those names related to a person's life. So he put together a book from his hobby, and these are true uh, stories, true life, true to life uh, people whose names uh, went kind of oddly with their lives. Uh, and he, he's written some of them in his book called Names. Uh, he said sometimes names are prophetic. In 1941, there were two men executed in the electric chair in the Florida State Penitentiary System, and their names were Will Byrne. And the last guy, the second guy's last name was Frizzle. Will Burn and Frizzle. Recently, there was a Montreal window washer who died by accident by falling as he was washing windows, and his name was Will Drop. No, no, no lie. True. Others, others, are, their names kind of destined them for occupations. He recorded the story of a coach, a baseball coach, whose name was Joe Bunt. A barber whose name was Dan Druff. And, uh, seriously, a a podiatrist whose name was Jeff Treadwell. And then, this this is just amazing to me, there were two guys named Go Forth and Ketchum, and they were police officers who were partners. Go Forth and Ketchum. And then there were two guys who were partners in a church equipment business, and their last names were O'Neill and Prey. And then there was a plaster contractor whose name was Will Crumble. So what's in a name? God says there's a lot in a name, especially when it's His name. The third in a list of top tens, He says, You shall not misuse 
empty or take the name of the Lord in vain. Why is God so sensitive about His name? Because His name, like your name, is a representation of His... uh, It is a reflection of His reputation, His character, and His authority. The name represents three things. Reputation, character, and authority. His name represents His reputation. It represents your reputation. Have you heard people say, He's making a name for Himself? When somebody has a good reputation, it's said that he has a good name. Or when he has a bad reputation, it's said that he has a bad name. When I say a name to you, you automatically think of the corresponding reputation behind it. Hitler, Martin Luther King Jr., Elvis. Their names bring about reputations. But a name also represents character. What you are cannot be separated from what your name is once they are identified together. A few years ago, Tiger Woods would have been referred to as the greatest champion to ever play the game of golf in most people's conversations. And he may still be recorded that before it's all said and done. But because of poor choices and character issues, there will always be an asterisk of reputation, of cheating and adultery uh, uh, to a a whole other level associated with his name. His reputation has marred his name and vice versa, they go together. In the Bible, people would often name their children after certain character qualities they liked. Honesty and justice would be reflected in their names because it represented character. And many times in the Bible, when God did a deep work in somebody's heart and it changed their character, He often would change, symbolize that internal character change by changing their name. Abram became Abraham, Jacob became Israel, and Simon became Peter. God changed their names because a name represents a character. A name is reputation. A name is character, but a name also represents authority. If a police officer was pursuing someone who was fleeing on foot, he probably would not yell, Stop! In the name of SpongeBob SquarePants. Not much authority. He would probably yell, Stop! In the name of the law, because there is authority behind that name. If you received a call from Warren Smith in a busy time in your life, uh, you were working, closing a deal, having dinner with your family, and you saw it on your caller ID, you might not stop what you were doing. You would probably let them leave a voicemail and call them back later. But if your caller ID said you were receiving a call from Warren Buffett, you might stop and take the call because there is authority in the name. God says, when you misuse my name... It's no little deal. It's a big deal because you're defaming my reputation, my character, my authority, and you're using it flippantly. From God's point of view, a name matters. To us, there's little significance in a name, His name, so we toss it around flippantly. The trouble is, God hasn't evolved with the American culture. He is the exact same God of the Bible. His word is still true and His name is still holy. When we think about misusing God's name, we usually think about swearing. We use God's name to swear. We are using His name in vain to insult. And so, somebody said if um, cussing and cheating were crimes, then golf would be illegal. (laughs) I, um, 
I heard a story back, of, back in the old days about a farmer who was late to get home for dinner. His wife asked him when he got home, did the wagon break down? The farmer said, no. On the way home, I offered a ride to the minister. And from that point on, the mules never understood another word I said. I'll, some of you will get that later. If you, if you didn't notice, it kind of hit in waves across the sanctuary as it dawned on people. America is one of the most foul-mouthed nations in the world, and we're becoming more so perverse in our speech because we're perverse in our hearts. Today, a movie would be just fine rated G or PG, but in order to sell, we throw in words in order to get a higher rating, a PG-13 or an R, because they sell better. We intentionally try to make them more perverse in the area of profanity to get a higher rating. Why do people swear? Well, one of the reasons is the lack of emotional control. But another reason, we started out swearing as a child to impress somebody. We started out swearing as a child to try to fit in, to gain acceptance, to state to whoever, ourselves or somebody else, that we had reached an area of liberation and dependence and we were growing up. So our, our, our first use with profanity or swearing was, was, was to impress somebody. But any, any idiot can swear. It takes no intellect, no IQ, no education. I can teach a three-year-old to swear. I can teach a chimpanzee to swear. I can teach a parrot to swear. It doesn't show maturity, manliness, or liberation to swear. But we do it anyway. It takes maturity to discipline your speech. Especially when you're angry. When you stump your toe, when you hit your thumb, when a guy cuts you off in traffic. It takes discipline to not swear. It shows maturity and self-control. But people demonstrate our lack of maturity every day by using God's name to insult, especially in times of irritation. Another way we use the name of the Lord in vain is to indulge. To indulge when we're using the name of the Lord in vain is to use God as a cover-up to excuse ourselves or to get what we want. In other words, let's say that you committed to something. Maybe as a ministry or you committed to somebody in the church, outside the church, whatever. You committed to something and you're a believer and you committed to something. And when you got into it, it was way more involved than you thought or you were way in over your head. It was more than you bargained for. You bit off more than you can chew. Instead of admitting that you bit off more than you could chew, or instead of admitting that you were in over your head, we use really spiritual language like, I'm feeling led somewhere else. I think God is leading me a different direction. To use God's reputation or name as an excuse to get out of a commitment we don't want to keep is taking His name in vain. Insulting, indulging, and thirdly, we use His name in vain to intimidate. Anytime you play the God card to add weight to your conversation, you're using His name in vain. God told me happens way too often in church, in marital arguments, 
parents over their children, this God told me speech is using God's name to manipulate situations to our advantage to win arguments. How are we supposed to argue with God? And so everybody knows that, so we play the God card in our conversations. We all better be careful tossing around the God told me statement. It's spiritual forgery. Forgery is when you steal someone else's name to get something that you want. I've been in conversations with people who have literally told me God told them their life choices were okay when those choices were in direct contradiction to the Word of God. I have I had a conversation recently with a believer connected to our church who uh, was in an adulterous relationship and out of care and concern and love for the family, for the individual, I called them and approached them. They were by, by rather surprised that I would be so blunt, but it was out of genuine concern. And as I approached the issue, all they knew to tell me is that they had prayed about it. And in this unique situation, God was okay with it. And I said, so, so God is going to suspend His law in His Word for you, and He's going to make all of us live by this law, but for you in this unique, you and Jesus got your own thing going, and, and, and you got this little appendix at the end of the Word, and it was somebody trying to in, uh, intimidate me in order to, to get me to buy into a poor choice using God's name in order to get something they wanted. It was Spiritual forgery. May our hearts be warned about speaking for God. If we're not truly speaking for God when we say we are, we are taking His name in vain. Most of us, as Christ followers, are guilty of using His name impulsively. There's indulging, insulting, uh, intimidating, but most of us are guilty of using the Lord's name impulsively. This is one of the traps a lot of us fall into. When you use God's name as a convenient expression of fear or anger or joy or amazement or surprise. I just caught a 10 pound fish. My God. Susie's pregnant. Oh my Lord. I just ripped my pants. Oh my God. When we use God's name associated with very common statements like that, we're reducing reducing God to a level of, wow, awesome, cool, or oh no. Don't make God an exclamation point. Don't empty His name by using it as a phrase, as a filler in your language. Take His name seriously. That's what the third commandment says. Don't use it flippantly. Don't use it as a filler. Impulsive means to speak without thinking. It's just habitual. It just rolls off of our mouth impulsively without ever thinking about the weight of what we're saying. And so we empty the name of its value using it impulsively. To do it impulsively means that we can also worship impulsively in church and even take the name of the Lord in vain when we worship. 
Have you ever gotten involved in worship and you're singing the words, but your heart is on your lunch list and who you forgot to invite and on your to-do list for Monday and you're going through the motions? Both Isaiah and then Jesus again in Matthew followed up with Isaiah's comment that we are, when that happens, we are a stick-necked people who honor Him with, worship Him with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. So we can impulsively use God's name in vain, even in church, by going through the religious routines, but not ascribing the worth and the weight that is associated with His name. And then Paul tells us that those who teach will be judged more strictly. One of the reasons they will be judged more strictly, and I'm in that case, is because we use more words. And I'm going to give an account of every word I speak. The more words we use, the more we have to be accountable for. That's the reason silence isn't all that bad. Our culture has given us creative and convenient ways to talk more. I don't think we're just going to be accountable for the, verb, the words that came out of our mouths. We're going to be avail- uh, accountable for the words we text, for the words we email, for the words we Twitter, for the words that we Facebook. Our digital age has given us digital opportunities to further empty the worth of the name of the Lord. We don't even have to say, oh my God anymore. All we got to do is say, OMG. And it seems so insignificant. It seems so trite. Because words don't mean anything to us anymore. We just flippantly throw out words. But names don't mean anything to us anymore. And we don't understand the way God feels about His own name. There are thousands of promises in the Word of God that are given to people who honor His name. He is sacred and serious about guarding the name of of the Lord. To take someone's name, like in marriage, means to share their values, to share their life. To, to love what they love and honor what they honor. So to take His name as Christian and not honor it with our words and action is another way to take the name of the Lord in vain. To be called His child or to be known as a Christ follower and to defame or discredit His name by the way we conduct our business, by the way we use our words, by the way we live in public. We could use His name. I had a great opportunity last night. My middle child is playing in a, a very intense ball tournament right now. Last night he was playing catcher. It was a close game. He got him out. The ump got it wrong. I'm sitting behind home plate. I have a choice to make. The coach lost it. Inside, I lost it. I had to talk myself down. There is more at stake here than an out. There is more at stake here than a ball game. I am a pastor. More than that, I am a Christian. I had, I I was, Haley will tell you, I was working on my sermon, reading over my notes at the ballpark, and I'm sitting there reading this, to bear His name and not reflect Him in public is to use His name in vain. So she can testify, I sat there quietly. On the inside, I was raging. I told you last week that before, before a word comes out of you, you are master of it. When it comes out of you, you say it, it becomes a master of you. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. 
The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Psalm 33, 21 says, No wonder we are happy in the Lord. We trust His holy name. Whatever you do, do it under the name of the Lord. Trusting His name, relying on His name. Jesus said, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There is why why will he do it? Why why would why would we pray in the name of Jesus? Why? Because you and I in our own merit don't have right to access the holy presence of God. But Jesus is the bridge and we get to go in through the person, reputation, character and authority of Jesus to go before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy. We get to go boldly, not on our own merits, but on the reputation, the character and the authority of Jesus. We get to go before the throne of grace boldly that we might obtain mercy to bring our request and make them known before God. That's the reason we pray in the name of Jesus. No one else has that reputation. No one else has that character. No one else has that authority. That's why there is power this morning for healing in the name of Jesus. That's why there is salvation in the name of Jesus. That's why there is deliverance and restoration and hope when we pray at the end of this service in the name of Jesus because there is no other name like it and we must honor His name. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. John 20.31, make sure you mark this. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Highlight it, note it, life. Circle it, life, life. You may have life in His name. You can pass from death to life, from judgment to forgiveness by His name. 66% of Americans admitted in a recent survey that they had broken the ten, the, this, this Ten Commandment of using the Lord's name in vain. The others are liars. They broke the other commandment. Because what we have is a limited perception of what it means to empty the person of God's name. We empty it of its value. You know, when I was um, growing up, the way my grandparents dealt with a bad mouth was to wash your mouth out with soap. And they washed your mouth out with soap for golly and gee. And crud and heck and darn. My grandpa called them Christian cuss words. And he said, if you're going to say them, you might as well say the other word. Because they mean exactly the same thing. He said, we just sanctified the cuss list to give us Christians something to say. (laughs) The problem is, while washing my mouth out with soap was a deterrent... It didn't fix the problem because my problem wasn't my mouth. My problem was my heart. My mouth 
was only a reflection of my heart. Whatever is inside is going to come out when the world puts the pressure on. If I'm filled with tension, turmoil, fear, anger, bitterness, and my heart is filled with all of those words because I'm used to listening to them or watching them or I'm around them all the time, and when the world puts pressure on me, that's what's going to come out. It's like squeezing a toothpaste tub. But if inside the toothpaste tub, what, if, 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 if there is love and peace and and joy when the world puts pressure on me that's what's going to come out swearing bad speech taking the, the name of the Lord in vain is symptom of a turmoil that is in my heart if I want to change tongue I need a changed heart and that is only something that Jesus can do I'll be honest with you I I uh, probably of any of these categories fall into the category of impulsively using the name. In, 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 in the southern U.S. and maybe for the rest of you, I don't know, I haven't lived anywhere else, but southerners say, oh my Lord, to everything like it's a prayer. And to even talk about cleaning up our speech to address that stuff seems so trite and insignificant. What we would rather be focusing on is the election and the homosexual agenda and the abortion rights issue because when we're focusing on the sin of homosexuality and abortion and all of the other things that are blatant disregards to God's Word, then it's easy for you and I to get up here and not worry about how we misuse the name of the Lord every day. So may God help us all, beginning with me, to change our hearts so it changes our speech. I want the worship team that's going to help to come. In just a moment, we're going to stand. And when we do, our, our prayer team is going to come and make themselves available. And I believe this morning there is power in the name of Jesus. If we can come together in agreement and confess that name to be greater than our sickness, confess that name to be greater than our sin, confess that name to be greater than our addiction, confess that name to be greater in our lack, our brokenness, our unemployment, there is power in the name. And they're going to be leading us so that our hearts can be searched, centering on the honor of the name. Do you know, I just said it briefly and I could preach a whole sermon on this. Do you know the opposite of taking the name of the Lord in vain? The opposite of emptying the Lord's name of its value? The opposite of that on the other side is worship. Worship. To ascribe honor and value and dignity. So replace your speech with reverence, with worship, with honor. Bring glory to His name. Worship with your life actions and your life words. So when our prayer team makes themselves available today, we're going to speak healing and deliverance and mercy and employment and provision in Jesus' name. Anything He said you ask in my name, in my reputation, in my character, and in my authority. If you don't know Jesus Christ, there's no other name. Today, respond when the opportunity is open to pray with these people and they can lead you into an encounter so that the confession of your mouth will reflect the belief of your heart so you can come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me all over this place today? Prayer team, would you make yourself available?
Um, I asked this this morning. You, you still love me, right, for preaching? I mean, I mean, if you just said yes and amen and you don't, you'll, you're a liar. <laughs> and, and that breaks another commandment. And I, I don't say that apologetically. I say that because I never want to preach this as if I have arrived and all of you people are guilty. And if you'll just be like me. Because I grew up feeling that way sometimes. That that's the way the preacher carried himself. I'm raising my hand today and telling you, I'm guilty. I don't have a foul mouth, but I'm guilty of a flippant mouth with the name of the Lord. Trite things. I need God's help. I want to honor His name. Because there's, there's a, I could show you a thousand promises in the Bible that will come to my family, come to this church, if I will learn how to honor the name of the Lord. And to you as well. So I'm going to speak a blessing over you today because I believe in the power of words. And then I'm going to pray. And, and, and they're going to sing a song of worship. And if you just need to wait in the presence of God and say, God, forgive me. Change my heart. Or if you need prayer this morning for a miracle in your life, in the name of Jesus, this environment is open. Lord, I pray you'll bless them and keep them. I pray that you will let your face shine down on them. I pray that you'll be gracious to them. I speak life into them. I pray that you'll turn your countenance their direction. And that you will give them peace. And may every one of us today have a greater reverence and honor for the name of the Lord. Let this environment be miraculous because we approach the throne of grace in your reputation, your character, and your authority, Jesus. Will you move mountains on people's behalf as we pray in Jesus' name?